This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. And, and you mentioned biking. It's a wrist-worn device, so if it's only looking at the acceleration signal, the movement, you don't get the biking at all. What, was it measuring also heart rate? or? Yes, it's measuring heart rate. So as I said, the tracker come with uh, pitfalls, but it also has some um, good um, advantages. Uh, for example, the tracker measure heart rate in um, very detailed uh, epoch. Uh, so it's every 15 minutes. I'm sorry, it's every 15 seconds. So the tracker will capture the heart rate every 15 seconds. That's four times in a minute. And these, uh, according to the, the manufacturer, that's the intensity of physical activity is determined by a combination of heart rate and acceleration. And some of the advantages of this tracker, it can capture some certain type of physical activity. For example, walking, biking, swimming, using um, uh, some training machines and swimming as well. So it's work under the water. Uh, we believe it used the, uh, as I said, the heart rate and the acceleration. So biking is not missing in this sense. It will be captured by the tracker, yes. Yeah, that's that's a little bit better that it's also considering the the heart rate in the in the results. Of course, when you are in the low end of moderate intensity, the heart rate is not very high. And did you do any testing that does it detect the moderate intensity walking from the heart rate, or did you do tests like this? No, we haven't really tested this, and it's it will be interesting because we can uh, look at the heart rate data and see. Uh, how the tracker actually reporting moderate intensity and what's the algorithm. So one of the th- things that it's really limiting us as a researcher using consumer activity tracker is that we don't know how the algorithm is working. And these company, all companies in the market, they are very not transparent about how these important outcomes is really measured. So the only testing is to do a uh, simple validation and maybe we can discuss this later. But the, the, the way we know, for example, how the tracker is measuring walking or how the tracker is measuring biking is by have a ready-made analysis of the algorithm. So we don't have the raw data. We only know uh, if the participant walked for 10 minutes or more, something like that from the tracker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that they say that they are using the acceleration plus the heart rate, but it depends how they are using. Like if you are biking and there's no, basically no acceleration on the wrist, is heart rate enough to detect the activity or do you need both? So it's, it is interesting and it's challenging when it's, it is a black box, box like, like that. And is it that with this device, you are not able to get any raw data or more granular data that you could actually see the sorter bouts that you need to, you only need, you only get the results that it calculates and there's this 10 minute cutoff. Yeah. So. From the tracker, we get different uh, metrics. There is a summary uh, of the uh, activity measured in every day. So like a a summary table of uh, each participant reporting their steps, their active calories, uh, sleep time, their um, moderate uh, to vigorous physical activity. 
and also we have some details in epoch in every 15 minutes epoch how the participant move from one um, behavior to another from sedentary to active to very active these details help us to uh, do um, uh, some calculation in terms of sedentary time for example because we know how much they are active how much they are in the bed sleeping then we can know how much they are sedentary for example yeah and also the movement between the transition uh active sedentary and also the transition in sleep um one of the things about this tracker it hasn't been tested in our case very well but it's been tested also uh, by other researcher uh, other uh, um, brand of consumer activity tracker and measuring sleep so in our case this tracker measures sleep in very details sleep stages in 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 very detail so we can know um the transition during the night in in sleep uh, among the participant but uh, yeah it's something we haven't uh, tested in our study yeah that's interesting yeah i think it always comes like whether to use consumer device or more research grade device it comes to practicality and and you had quite a lot of participants six months so you definitely need a device that they don't need to be charging all the time it is easy to use and also affordable in this case of course with the for example with the taiwan device you could have got the light intensity activity you could have seen the standing, for example, which I think in pregnancy you shouldn't be standing too much. I think that's also one one thing. So yeah, it's it's always a always a trade off between different things. Um, how how do you see looking now back the study design and using using this activity tracker? Would you do anything differently doing it again? Would you how would you do the another RCT of this type? Yeah, I haven't thought about it. I mean. Yeah, in terms of design, it's really an interesting one. I think the design of the study to test two type of physical activity intervention uh, is still relevant. And I think uh, if I uh, go back in time, I will still uh, look at this. But I might also use other type of measurement. So in FITMA, we use the tracker. We use um, the questionnaires as well, uh, pregnancy physical activity questionnaire. So it's a questionnaire designed uh, to measure uh, physical activity and also sedentary time uh, during pregnancy. And we use also uh, the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index to measure sleep. Maybe one of the things that I will add also to use uh, some of the research grade devices during the study, just to compare it with the tracker uh, and to see how uh, these devices agreed in, in some of the outcomes that is measured. I mean, we use the gold standard method to, to, to measure um, energy exponential, which is uh, the gold standard method. It's the doubly labeled water in our case. Uh, so, but, but the, but the doubly labeled water is only measuring energy exponential from which we can drive the physical activity level. It's also an, uh, uh, a limitation uh, by this method, even though it's a gold standard, it's not gold standard for physical activity, uh, and it's uh, it's put a lot, uh, a quite bur- burden on the participant. It's quite expensive as well. So uh, yeah, if I go back in time, I might I might use an um, a research grade uh, tracker um, to see how uh, these uh, activity tracker consumer activity tracker works against the research gra- uh, trackers, and m- I might also work with heart rate data to test when the heart rate cut off for moderate intensity and vigorous intensity. Of course, it will be different between participants, and there is maybe an um, 
differences between individuals, but we might uh, get a clue about it because it's really a good type of data. I mean, heart rate every 15 seconds, that's uh, very detailed, high-resolution data. So you, you measured the double labeled water. Did you measure it from, from all the participants or how did you do it? So for practicality reasons, we use it in subgroup of participants. We offer it for those who want to use it. We ended up using 134 participants, which is quite uh, relatively quite high number. And we measured it once during the study in mid-pregnancy, I would say. So uh, we offer this in gestational week 28, that's almost mid-pregnancy. The participant will have two visits. One visit when they drink uh, uh, the baseline, uh, um, they will give the baseline measurement for the uh, urine test. Then they will have the double label water at home and the uh, uh, the samples they will be taken at home so they will have to collect five samples at home uh, at uh, different uh, uh, days 14 days period then they will retain the samples uh, for us to do the analysis yeah yeah now that's 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 a nice sample and then you probably compared it to energy expenditure values of the of the carmine how 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 was the results yeah so we uh, published the results uh, of the validation of the tracker, the questionnaire, and the energy um, um, expenditure from the double label water. I would say the tracker performed uh, better than the questionnaire compared to the double label water in measuring uh, physical activity energy expenditure. But both of them significantly overestimate uh, physical activity energy expenditure. The, the, the questionnaire um, significantly and higher than the tracker overestimate physical activity energy expenditure. But I have to say these, um, there is a lot of assumption also uh, estimating the total energy expenditure from the tracker because the tracker uh, actually measure um, the basal metabolic rate. That's something um, the participant give their weight, age, and sex. Then there is an algorithm that we don't know about will estimate the basal metabolic rate. And basal metabolic rate is um, a quite high percentage of the um, um, total energy expenditure. Uh, so this estimation is also um, affect the measurement of um, uh, physical activity energy expenditure that we estimated from the tracker. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, and and when you said energy expenditure, was it that it was of course the total because it was double labeled water, not the moderate to vigorous intensity, and the Garmin was giving the total for whole day. Garmin gave us the basal metabolic rate and the physical activity energy expenditure. So and we add also the estimated uh, thermic effect of food, then we can get the total energy expenditure. But do, do, do you think it then left out kind of the light intensity activity because you had the basal and then MVPA and thermic, but not kind of the daily non-exercise activity? Yeah, so, so Garmin gave us moderate physical activity, vigorous physical activity, and there is another component called active calorie. This active calorie, it's the uh, Garmin algorithm to calculate everything beyond maybe sedentary. We don't know. But we assume also it's include light physical activity. Uh, it's not easy to uh, conclude that, but uh, we assume that physical activity energy exhibitential is equivalent to what Garmin called it uh, active calories. Uh, that's meaning anything need energy to consume when you are active, either at light intensity or at vigorous intensity. So that's the component that we use from the tracker. Yeah, and I, I think that it's quite 
easy to think that the questionnaires you get the overestimation of the energy expenditure as people like to be <laughs> like to be more active than they are are but maybe it's surprising that the activity tracker is also overestimating because you would think that it's it's missing some activities that you do with the legs was was the overestimation how how much was it was it considerable yeah it was uh, around 300 kilocalories uh, per day but uh, yeah i have to mention that the tra- so during the double label water testing which is 14 days the tracker count the active calories every day so it's not uh, a one day measurement that might be equivalent to the double label water if you get what i mean because the the amount of energy expenditure varies uh, uh, every day and we took the average of that so this is one of the things we have to do, but it might be also something that the overestimation come from. Uh, it, it's not that high in terms of uh, when we compare it to the questionnaire. I think the questionnaire overestimate by 1000 kilocalories per day, uh, but the tracker was 300 something uh, kilocalories per day. Uh, both of them sig- uh, significantly overestimate the WDAPL water and, uh, and measuring physical activity energy exponential. Yeah, and of course, the basal metabolic rate is probably difficult for the activity tracker because they were pregnant at 28 weeks so basically you have extra extra weight which is not not muscle mass so the body composition is very different than the algorithms for normal people are exactly that's a good point the tracker does not know uh, if the person is a pregnant woman and it's normally to uh, gain some weight during this period or if it's a person sitting in the couch and increasing body weight dramatically in this very short time period. Yeah. So it's really tricky. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is tricky. And then the, as I'm thinking now, the, the double labeled water is basically noticing the energy expended in the, in the growth of the fetus. So that, that increases, but, but then the tracker is not probably noticing, although heart rate might be a little bit a little bit higher because of this but yeah very tricky situation many many factors affecting yes and i have to say also one of the limitations that the questionnaire is not designed to measure energy exponential although it's overestimated by high number of calories uh, per day comparing to the double label water but the purpose of the questionnaire was not to measure energy exponential it's to measure physical activity. So uh, we have to say it's the measurement that we have and the measurement that we need to validate. Uh, But I think it's we need more investigation in in these type of uh, questionnaire because it's not designed for these purposes. And also to find a better way to do the validation. So I'm I'm still not uh, uh, into these uh, validation. What's the right way to do the validation? What's the procedure? And I think... A lot of research is uh, going on and we need more to know what's the best way to do the validation, what's the best devices, what's the best protocol um, in these uh, validation studies. Yeah, and were you surprised that the second group with the motivational counseling and the tracker that was used as a motivational tool, they didn't have a significant difference compared to the control group? So there was quite a lot of psychological encouragement to move but still no difference to how, how do you interpret this yes maybe one of the things that um the participant in the exercise group they can feel it because they come to the gym they exercise they see the sweat they are uh, motivated to be in the exercise group i have to say um the participant included in the study have a good 
um, education level, 80% of them uh, has a bachelor degree or more. So they are um, aware of the importance of physical activity. They are motivated to be physically active. And when they are maybe, uh, that's a, a speculation, when they are in the motivation, they rely on themselves to increase their physical activity. They missing um, the chances to be in a structure of exercise supervised training. They're using the tools that is uh, maybe not reflecting what they are doing. I mean, the tracker. So maybe they get some um, disappointed about uh, their level uh, of physical activity that it's not reflected, even though maybe they do maybe some moderate intensity physical activity. I'm sure about that. But the tool that we use, it's not reflected. And one of the things that I, I like to use about using different type of uh, tools to measure physical activity is that, um, for instance, we saw that the motivational group self-reporting their physical activity at moderate intensity, increasing from baseline and uh, throughout the pregnancy when reporting by the questionnaire. But that's not true when reporting by the uh, consumer activity tracker. So they sometimes saw themselves as physically active, and that's reflected when they answered the questionnaire. And it was significant. So they are increasing when we compare the group with themselves from baseline to mid-pregnancy to at uh, later pregnancy, they have increase um, of moderate intensity physical activity. Yeah. And did you have any questionnaires or interviews about the barriers and facilitators for physical activity? Yeah. So my one of my uh, colleagues did um, um, an evaluation, process evaluation of the trial itself. Uh, that include um, quantitative analysis and also qualitative analysis. So basically interviews and some um, of the tools that used to evaluate the, uh, the process of the trial. Uh, what we found that the, the trial achieved high uh, fidelity. So it's been delivered in a, in a, in a very good way and the participant uh, receive it in that way as well. But the dose was really qu- quite low uh, in terms of the exercise session. So the attendance in the physical uh, or the exercise group was low. Uh, but also in the uh, exercise group, they are motivated and they find it very strict type of um, exercise. But in the motivation group, they thought about physical activity as everyday, everyday life physical activity. So it's not like a strict 60 minutes in the gym type of physical activity. So they are aware that when they play with the, with their kids, it's a physical activity. When they are moving uh, around and walking, when they are uh, moving from their house to catch the bus, it's a physical activity. When they are using the stairs instead of the elevator, it's a physical activity. So it's not only a strict exercise in the gym. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. And of course, during pregnancy, there might be safety concerns. The body is is changing. There might be nausea. There might be different things. So it it is it is probably more more challenging than many many other situations in life. How, how do you see the implementation of these findings? How how to promote physical activity among pregnant women? Yeah, I I mean it's it's really um a challenging uh things to um uh, apply. I mean, when, when I first contacted my group, I was really surprised that in Denmark, which we thought it's a um, very active population, that some, some of the population is not meeting the requirement. So, um, I think it's a global thing that needs a lot of attention. In terms of the, uh, the better way, I think we need to 
from what we see in this trial, we need to try different approaches, uh, different strategies to increase physical activity in this uh, population in pregnant women. First, by combining physical and online interventions, by uh, starting very early in pregnancy or maybe before pregnancy, because it's really important to uh, acquire these uh, behavior uh, before the conception maybe, and also to um, offer this opportunity for participants very early in pregnancy. And also to implement these type of um, uh, lifestyle modification in the clinical practice. I think one of the challenges is that uh, in, in, during the midwife's visit, during the um, visit, uh, follow-up visit of the pregnancy, uh, physical activity is rarely discussed uh, by the uh, pr- practitioner and the clinician. So uh, ad- some advocacy uh, in, in, in terms of discussing what type of physical activity is suitable for pregnant women, what's the myth facts about physical activity, how important is it in their health and uh, the fetus health and the baby health later on, how it might prevent many of the um, diseases that happen during pregnancy and also postpartum. I think, yeah, the the healthcare system is also should be involved uh, in implementing this lifestyle uh, modification. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And I think, I don't know how is the for example, the knowledge of midwife in Denmark that what what is safe, safe exercise, what can you do? I think earlier historically, we have been probably too cautious and not encouraging and being being on the safe side when we actually now know that it's safer to do activities for both the, the mother and, and the child. But yeah, probably a lot of education needed. Yes, both for the um, health practitioner and also for uh, uh, general public, because uh, it's an, uh, it's not a matter of uh, the individual themselves. It's uh, the whole family, the parents as well, fathers need to know about the importance of physical activity during pregnancy to encourage uh, their um, wives to be physically active and uh, to like adopt this during um, pregnancy time. Yes. Yeah, and earlier we believed that the parents are only giving the genes for the child, but now that we we know about epigenetics, so actually being physically active and having a good diet before getting pregnant probably gives a better epigenetics for the for the child. So I think I think from that perspective, it could be good to start promoting physical activity already there, and also because of learning the habits early on. Yeah, and that's when one of the things also we investigated uh, in FITMOM is the effect of the intervention, physical activity interventions in the epigenetic changes. It's it's ongoing uh, project and uh, we will maybe publish uh, some of the result uh, soon. So it's something that we acknowledge and we know that uh, uh, from the literature that it's early when the these type of lifestyle affect the babies and we can measure it. So we want to see how the intervention change uh, changes these um, outcomes uh, in terms of epigenetics. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's, that's very interesting. And it's, it's quite a new thing. I think when I was doing my studies, I think there was no mention about epigenetics. So I'm, I'm not an expert on those as I, I kind of missed them during my studies. So very interesting studies. Do you have any future plans of new studies? Do you have plans maybe to implement these also in your home country? What, what's, what's next? Yeah. 
I think I will continue doing a, a, a randomized trial that's interesting to measuring physical behavior, which include physical activity, sleep, sedentary time, and how it's impact our mental health. That's something really interesting for me right now is that the mental health things can be impacted by this behavior. And the 20 hour movement, how we use the time in the 24 hour uh, day, that will be also interesting to see uh, when I get back home to test a different type of strategies to change and uh, the behavior and also how to measure this behavior. That's also something interesting. Consumer activity tracker is one of the things that um, I think it's come to stay and it will have a great impact on our health and also in the um, research area of physical behavior. So I think utilizing this tracker wisely, it's really important and also uh, work to advocate for um, uh, changing the area of consumer activity tracker by make the companies more transparent about the algorithm and uh, about how they measure these outcomes and also their um, the data showing for the participant or the uh, individual in any society is accurate as it should be and not to mislead the population about this uh, information. Yeah, good, good points. And I think I saw maybe in your CV that you, you have been using R quite a bit. Did I, did I notice it correctly? Yes. Have you, have you already tested ChatGPT too with the, with the R code that can it, can it help, help in that? I haven't really, but, uh, it will be interesting. And, and I think it's, it's really moving fast. These, uh, AI tools. Now there is chat, uh, GTP4, something like that, which is uh, a great version of, uh, the previous one. But I hear that it's, you can ask to write a code and uh, you will get a, uh, well written functioning code from that. No, I haven't really, but the, the reason I use R is to manage uh, the amount, the high amount of data that we get from the tracker and also to do the analysis. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I will try. <laughs> I will try this. I think there's many ways to try, even if you are not, for example, the, the R guy in your research group, you can just copy paste the code and you can ask it to explain that what is this code doing. So you can actually kind of double check that is our code correct to measure these things and you can ask if there's any mistakes. So you can actually debug. And also we tested just quickly, like saying that, can you write the code to analyze moderate vigorous intensity activity and it it spits out pretty good code just with with the simple prompt so i i would recommend checking it yeah I, I wish i have this before uh when i started my beach it's <laughs> it's gonna be easier for me because i struggle really to uh, get the experience you know learning r is uh, is very steady at the beginning. Uh, it's a small curve to uh, get uh, the skills in R, but I'm really uh, glad that uh, I have this skill as well. Uh, it's part of something I want to learn. I haven't worked with other type of um, software like Python, but maybe it's in the future uh, that I'm looking for uh, for that as well. And and even if the AI is doing things, it's good if you understand the code and can actually ask for the right things. Yeah, but maybe we are up to our time. It's good to wrap up. So I think this was really interesting discussions about the Fit Mom, Mom study and the validity of the Garmin activity tracker. So thank you for taking the time for this podcast. This was brilliant. 
Thank you so much, Oli. It's really a pleasure to be in this podcast. Uh, it's really great to discuss these things. And I'm really a fan of it. So uh, keep up this uh, great work. Thank you so much for uh, enriching the physical activity research field. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.